Hello and welcome to the Building Christian Fellowship Podcast. We are very excited that you have decided to tune in today and pray you are blessed by today's message. Anybody been fighting this week? Come on. It's been a fight. You guys watch out. All of a sudden, I feel like preaching. Fight. Fight, fight, fight. It's funny because we're all Christians and we know we had the victory, but why do we still got to fight? <laughs> God, you've given me the victory, but can you explain something to me about this fight, this fight game? I, I, need to, I need to know what I got to do. And a lot of times I think, saints, we, we, we get in this mindset of having victory, but do we prepare ourselves for the fight? I don't think anybody enters a fight thinking they're going to lose. Because chances are you're not going to pick a fight with somebody you know you're going to get beat down. Right? I'm, I'm just letting you know. You know, like Bobo, Bobo comes up to you and he says something to you and he offends you. You're just going to kindly be like, okay. God bless you, brother. Because that's a fight you probably ain't going to win. Right? You choose your fights wisely. You're going to fight somebody that's smaller than you, that looks a little bit weaker than you, unless you're confident in your skills. But you know what brings confidence and skill? It's when you practice, when you train. Now, I, I just, you guys like fighting? I mean, not personally, but you guys like boxing? Who's boxing fans in here? Any Canelo fans in here? Couple? There's like three people are Canelo fans? Bonner fans? Adrian Bonner? He need Jesus. I know. Pacquiao fans? Dude, is there any big name boxers anymore? Any McGregor fans? MMA? Yeah, you get that? I know we got a bunch of Mayweather fans in the house, right? Come on, y'all. Nobody even watches boxing. You guys do watch MMA, right? You watch where people break each other's necks and arms and got big fat ears. You guys walking around. Just, I'm going to give you a hint, okay? Just real quick, quick story. Kai and I are standing in line. We were back east one day, and my wife thinks I'm the toughest thing in the world. She not going to handle anybody. So I'm standing there. I said, honey, this is one dude I wouldn't fight. Dude wasn't big. Wasn't strong. From behind, I, she's like, I don't understand. He don't look like he's anything. I said, no, no, no. See, this is what you got to peep out. Look at his ears. <laughs> he had them big fat ears and cauliflower ears, and then he turns around, and when he turns around, his, his face is scarred up from being punched on. Bridge of his nose flat. You guys know what I'm talking about? Just give you guys a hint. You see somebody like that and has a problem with you, you better believe your fight, you're going to have your hands full. This is real. I'm just trying to help you guys out. You shouldn't be fighting anyway. But sometime as the spirit moves, it ain't the spirit of God either. It's a, it is the ministry of laying on hands. You lay hands. Oh, hallelujah. The five-fold ministry. You got you to present that to people sometime. Hallelujah. Right? So look, now, now we see fighters, and, and do you guys realize that a fighter trains for months to be ready to fight for minutes? 
A fighter will train for months. Now, I'm not talking about one day a month. I'm talking about every day, a few times a day for months to prepare for a fight that lasts minutes. Not even an hour. But most of them, maybe more, no more than 45 minutes. If they're lucky, only one round. Right? So a fighter will train and push his body to its limits during training in order to get out of his body what he needs to get out of his body for the fight. The longer and more frequent a fighter will run, the more endurance he'll have for the fight. Because I don't care how hard you hit. If somebody keeps dodging those hits, you got to be in that, the ring for a long time. We see people fight and they get tired. And why do they get tired? Because they didn't train. We see these guys, the more that they train and strengthen their body, the more stronger they'll be when they get hit unexpectedly. Anybody ever been hit unexpectedly? You guys watch World Star. Y'all see when that guy's sitting there talking, blah, 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 pop. What happened? He wasn't training. You can actually train yourself to receive those hits. You can train yourself to get hit when you get hit. You may stumble, you may buckle, but you ain't going to fall and get knocked out. So if a trainer trains himself so when he gets hit, he gets hit unexpectedly, he can still stay in the fight. The more that he spires uh, with, with, uh, with a, another opponent, the more equipped he is for the fight. And a fighter knows that he has to give his all during training so he can draw from his all when the fight happens. If he doesn't train with all that he has, if he doesn't push himself, if he doesn't stretch himself, if he doesn't go beyond and past his limits, during a fight he won't be able to draw from himself all that he needs to win his fight. A fighter knows this, how you train is how you fight. How you're going to train is how you're going to fight. I, I even say that for any basketball, football players, anything. However you practice is how you're going to play. If you show up to practice just, eh, yeah, okay, then that's how you're going to play the game. Now, we expect this type of level of, of training, and we expect for people that are boxing to train and fight hard because we know if they train and, and, they, and they practice hard that they're going to play hard. They're going to have a greater chance of winning the fight. Is this correct? So why don't we expect this same type of training for ourselves in Christian lives? Somebody tell me that, that why do we think as Christians that we can live a life that is victorious without the same type of commitment and sacrifice? We expect it from the boxers. We expect it from the football players. We expect it from the basketball players. We expect it from the soccer players. We expect it from the hockey guys. We expect it from every sport. But how come we don't expect it in our own lives and walking from day to day? Why don't we train our minds, ourselves, our hearts, our souls to prepare for the enemy of our soul? 
Let me tell you what sacrifice is defined as. Sacrifice is defined as surrendering a possession as an offering to God or to a divine or supernatural figure. So a sacrifice basically is you're going to give up something to God or something you worship. Now, I just want to let you guys know this as a side note. Just because you give something doesn't mean you're sacrificing. Because a sacrifice costs you something. In California, any of you guys that are born here, raised here, there, there's this sense of entitlement that has spilled over into the church, into our spirituality. That's, you guys heard me say the word entitlement. You know, I'll I, I just be honest with you. I, I know there's people that, that don't even attend church service that call our church and expect the church to do something for them. Hmm. Sounds really weird to me, but this welfare mentality has used the principles of God as a welfare system. We haven't done a thing for God, but when we're in trouble, when the fight happens, we start calling on God, hoping that he sends a few angels down to save us. Hmm? Sometimes we get in these situations and it wasn't by happenstance, probably because of something we've done. I guess there's an old saying that don't let your mouth write a check. Amen. <laughs> See, when it comes to the bride of Christ, which is the church, we put nothing in or we give minimum effort and we expect to get something out. We would be chased out of a bank if you came with a, a, a withdrawal slip and you don't even have an account there. Does it make sense? I'm just saying. You go, when you go to the bank, you go to get out what you put in. And if I'm training hard for a fight, I can expect to get out of my body what I trained and put in it. I can get out of it. So when we come to the church and come to God, why is it that we expect all this great stuff, but we haven't even given a little to God? Mm. Now, I think the greatest danger in this kind of attitude is when we want to give the appearance of making sacrifices when we really aren't. There's, 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 people, there's some people in church, and it's been happening since Jesus' time, that people want to look like they're making sacrifices when they're really not making sacrifices. Dangerous. Now, I'm going to read the scripture, and I'm going to set it up for you because so you guys can bring some understanding. Matthew chapter 6, verse 2. It reads this. Therefore... When you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you that they have their reward. Now, let me stop there. One of the reasons why we don't do traditional offering time in here is because of this scripture. The Lord showed me this for a reason. You guys watch this. I need you guys to listen very carefully. So during Jesus' time, 
people would come to the synagogues, to the house of God, and they would give. There was a specific time for them to give. And what the hypocrites, Jesus was talking about the Pharisees and the Sadducees would do, they wouldn't line up until everybody was in the house. They wouldn't line up till the place was full. Why would they do that? Because the receptacle that took the money was shaped like a giant funnel. They call it a horn, okay, or a trumpet. And it was made out of metal. So when you came and gave your offering, whatever you put in there, because there wasn't paper money, and they didn't have checks then, by the way, it was all coins silver, and gold. So as they would drop their offering into the receptacle, it would make a loud noise. So if I drop a penny in there, you're going to hear the penny drop down into it. So what they would do is wait till everybody was there. They'd cut in line with their big bag of money, and they'd look around, and they'd pour their bag in, and it would sound off the trumpet. Hence the scripture saying, when you give, don't give, sounding off a trumpet, like shh, making a loud noise. It's not going, hey, I'm giving. It's making this loud noise. And, and, and if you really think about it, it's a disturbing noise. I, I don't know if you ever put change inside of a metal can or even and shake it. It don't sound good. So this is what God's saying is your bragging is, does, is annoying. Your sacrifice is annoying. And they give it and it shakes. And they're looking around like, yes, you, you don't have to count it. You can hear it. Then they walk off. The Bible said, surely they've gotten their reward, which means people are impressed. This is why we don't say it's offering time. And today we're going to have the thousand dollar line. We're going to have the faithful tither line, the five hundred dollar line. And everybody else can wait until they give first. And then you can come up and give what you afford. I believe that giving is worship. And my whole heart is for you to learn how to worship God on your own. It's personal. And I promise you, since we've done this, I've had men of God tell me, look, man, you're losing out on offering. Sometimes it's good to pressure people because, you know, when people feel pressure, they do all this other. And I said, no, man, I know God has told me to do it this way. And I will tell you right now, there's one thing that has happened at the Building Christian Fellowship. People are learning what it means to worship God. Not only that, we have a need for nothing. I'm sorry. I know you're the provision for God's vision, but I'll tell you what, never have I seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed begging bread. God knows what we're in need of before we can ask or even think it. If this is he called us to it, he'll see us through it. It's just up to you if you want to get in on the plan. So here we have these people that just want to go forth and they give just to be seen of men. I don't want you to give just to be seen of men. Even if we didn't make the announcement, do you know the pressure that's on people when we have a plate up here and you got to come up and give? People are watching to see if you don't get up and give. So now you're giving begrudgingly. Bible says don't give begrudgingly or out of necessity, but God loves a cheerful giver. People that get up and give are cheerful. They're happy about it. That's why I always say give God some praise. Every time you give, give God some praise because when you give here at the building, a life is being touched and a destiny is being changed. See, we're trying to follow what God tells us to do, not what man says. So anyway, don't we hear how not to give, right? But here is a perfect picture of a woman who shows us all how to give your all. Now, can I stop for a second? This is just for some of the sexist people out here. I find it very peculiar in particular, and God did this on purpose, is that while men did a lot of things in the Bible, 
there's one thing significant that he showed here. It was a woman that is teaching us how to give God their all. It's a woman. Now, I, I, I mean, I, there's times I know I, I understand the Bible and I understand everything, but sometimes we need to get our minds out of this sexist attitude about women and, not, and, and begin to realize the power that women have, that God has given women, the examples of godly women that God has given us in the Bible. That they are not just a helpmate. There's not somebody just here to help me along with my plan. What it is is a helpmate, a wife, a woman is there to help God with our plan. Because the vision that he gave me is for me and her. If he gave me a vision and her a vision, that's two visions, that's division. Division. So will you please turn with me to Mark chapter 12, verse 41 through 42. Hallelujah. You know, we're talking about Jesus here. Jesus, saw, Jesus watched this. Jesus said this. Now Jesus sat opposite of the treasury and saw how the people put money in the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrant. So he called his disciples to himself. He said, hey, y'all come here real quick. And this is what he said to him. He said, surely I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who gave to this treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all. Put in all. Out of her poverty, she put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Now, let me stop here because I'm here to tell you this is not a message about money. We are not talking about tithes. We are not talking about offering, but we're talking about your life. We are talking about your heart. Now, this poor widow woman didn't give out of what she could afford to give. She gave her all. And most of us, when we give, we know where the next is coming from. We give because we know we're going to get more. What do I mean? If right now God spoke to you in your heart and said, I want you to empty out your bank account, your savings, you're like, man, God, that's a lot. And you'd be like, man, that's a sacrifice. But you would find some comfort in knowing, guess what? You can, in two weeks, you're getting paid again. Or in a month, you're getting paid again. So there's some comfort in knowing that when I give, eventually I'm going to get something back. I'm going to work and I can hustle. I can make this back. I have the potential of making more money. I can work overtime to make up for what I just lost. Amen. Okay. Well, we look at her and, and I need you to understand is that she gave from her poverty. She gave all that she had. So once again, we're not talking about money today. We're talking about giving God your all. You guys have to understand, you can't give God your all if you have a plan B. No plan B. You can't have a plan B. The same way God had a plan A for us, he wants us to also have a plan A for him. The same way God gave us his all. The same way that God gave us his best is the same way he expects us to do for him. Turn to 2 Corinthians 5 and 15. 
It says, and he, talking about Jesus, for all that who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. What is he saying? We shouldn't be living for ourselves. We should be living for Christ. I can't live for Christ and live for myself at the same time. I either got to live for God or don't live for him. I'm sorry. That movie was it Fifty Shades of Grey or whatever that movie. That movie's just all about laying and playing in the gray area. There is no gray area with God. Either you love one and hate the other, you can't serve both. You can't serve yourself and serve God. That's why the Bible instructs us in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Romans 6 and 13, it says, yield, give up yourself unto God. Matthew 22, it says, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. God wants it all. Like, man, that's a lot, God. You mean Sunday ain't enough? You know, Sunday, I'll be wanting to rest on Sunday. But I come to church, God. I can hear God saying, too, he's like, you don't come to church for me. You come to church for you. But I want you to graduate from going to church for you, and I want you to start going to church for somebody else. It's a concept that's not heard of in church nowadays. People say, look, you need to come to church for you. No. I come to church. When I come to church, I come to meet a need. I come to serve. I come to encourage. I don't wait till I'm on the pulpit to sit down and hug somebody and tell them, hey, it's good to see you. How nice to meet you. Oh, I, I do that because it's in my heart to love on people, to encourage them. And guess what happens? Because I'm here to meet a need, God makes sure that my need is met. Because when I'm feeling down, when I'm feeling depressed, when I'm feeling worn out, when I'm feeling sick, when I'm feeling tired, if I come and give what I don't even have, if I, if I come, I only got a little bit of life left in my life. And if I give that little bit of life to somebody else. God has given me a promise that he gives seed to the sower. So in my, in, in my poverty as I'm giving out because I'm discouraged, but I'm giving some type of encouragement to somebody, God will make sure that I get encouraged. If I give somebody some grace and I feel like right now nobody's giving me any grace, why should I give somebody some grace? They don't deserve it. Exactly. Give them grace. So as I give them grace, God says he gives me more grace. So the more of my life that I give Jesus Christ, the more life I will have. This is why he said, I didn't come. He said, the thief comes but to kill, steal, and destroy. But I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. That abundant life only comes when you give up your life. The more of your life you surrender, the more of your life you're going to get back. But here's the problem. I could love my wife because she's right there. I see her. She's so beautiful. So it's easy for me to love on her because she's here. But Jesus isn't here. How can I show somebody love when they're not present with me? Yes, we know he's present. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's spirit. He's truth. He's God. He's everywhere. But I can't 
physically touch him and show him. I, I, I physically, I, I verbally tell my wife that I love her. My mind is stayed on my wife. I think about her all the time. But there's times that I want to show her how much I love her by doing things for her. And when I do things for her, I see that I please her because she looks at me and she tells me I'm pleased. I'm happy. And she smiles and things like that. I see that. But we don't get that from Jesus. He ain't here. How do I know I please him? How am I supposed to give God my all when I can't touch him or I can't see him? I'm glad you asked. Thank you. I'll answer that. Now, Jesus said this to this man named Philip. He said, Jesus said to him, he says, I've been with you a long, long time, Philip, and yet you don't know me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? What Philip was doing was sitting there talking to Jesus going, hey, I want to see God the Father. He says, when you see me, I am the embodiment of a God that nobody's ever seen. I'm God in the flesh. So when you see me, you see the Father because I'm his body. He created a body so that you could see and so that you can love on him by loving me. You, you guys get that? So watch this. Jesus said, no man has seen God until I showed up. Now, the body of Christ. You can't love on God the Father unless you come through his body, which is Christ. Christ was the body. Now, Jesus said in John 14, 6, he said this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I like that word through. Some, some, some of you guys' translations say by me. But that word through means kind of like you walk through a door. You guys with me? You guys know that Jesus said, I am the way. I am the door. In order to get into a building, you got to walk through a door. In order to get in somewhere, you got to go through something. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. I am the way to get to somewhere. I'm telling you the truth, and I am the life. You got to go through me to get to the Father. Okay, you guys catch this. Now, God the Father is ahead. God in Christ is the body. But now that Christ is gone, he's resurrected and ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of God. Now, Christ has become the head of the church. And what is another term that we call the church? The Corpus Christi, the body of Christ. So how do I love on Jesus if I don't see him? Through his body. His body is the church. So I show Jesus that I love him by surrendering myself to his church, to his body. Oh, I didn't get too many amens of that. You guys didn't catch that. See, what happens is God himself sent Jesus the body for us to love on him. We can't get to the head, the Father, but through Jesus. Now Jesus is with the Father. They are one in heaven, but Jesus is now the head. Listen, I can't just love on my wife's face. You look so pretty. But if I love her face, I got to love the rest of her because it comes together. You can't sit down and say you love Jesus if you don't love his church. And loving doesn't just come from speaking. Because I'm sure there's some people in here that's been in relationships that people tell you they love you, but they act a whole different way. I love you. 
It don't seem like it. You got to show your commitment to the head by being committed to his body. You got to be sold out to God by being sold out to the body of Christ. You got to be sold out to his church. People don't want to hear that because you know what the first thing you say is, well, if I sell out to the church, I don't know what that pastor's doing. He could be trying to just lead me, guide me. He just want to be in control of me. Listen, I don't. I promise. I don't. Literally. I got two kids that are still underage and two adult kids that I'm trying to help out with their lives. I don't want 300 more. I promise. I would rather that you surrender your life to Christ and let him guide you and lead you into all truth. I just want to give you a word to encourage you to follow Jesus every weekend. But once again, what do you want? You want to come to church, don't surrender your life to Christ, but yet when you're in trouble, you're asking for him. Hey, uh. I believe the scripture said, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord when you don't do what I say? I can't be your master. I can't be your head if you don't even listen to what I'm telling you. Watch this. I'm going to prove that you have to love on Christ's body. You guys ready for this? First John 4, 11 through 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. Listen, we should be able to say the same thing that Jesus said about God the Father. I, was, I ain't never seen Jesus. You'd be like, look, man, how long have I been with you? You say, show you Jesus. Don't you realize when you look at me that me and Jesus are one? Don't you realize that? So when you've seen me, you've seen Jesus. That's how it's supposed to be. A lot of us feel guilty even trying to say that. What you mean, man? Jesus. Because we already know that our actions don't speak and live Christ. So we would feel like hypocrites trying to sit down and tell somebody. That's why I don't understand when people get drunk and high and want to have a, a, a religious talk at that time. I don't understand it. You should feel kind of ashamed at that point. It's like people even say, so man, what does it say to Bob? You're like, no, we ain't talking about that right now. Not, not at this moment. Jesus isn't in here at this time. We have to be committed to God by being committed to his church or his body. Listen, you, commitment means there is no plan B. No plan B. I'm in it to win it. If I got a plan B, then I'm not committed. Do you know how many times when I witness to people, I witness to a dude on his deathbed, literally, probably six, seven minutes before, from, from dying. God sent me to him. God loves you so much, man. I don't even belong in this part of the hospital. He led me directly to you. He got rid of all the nurses and everybody was working on you. And it's me and you. God loves you so much that he's come to send a word that if you just repent, 
You are about to step in eternity, and it's up to you where you're going to live, where are you going to spend it. You know, he looks at me and says, I've tried it. And the only thing I could think of, my heart was heartbroken, but I, I, I was thinking, you didn't try it. You had a plan B. Because you're like the people that just show up to church during trouble, and, and then maybe God will save them out of trouble. So that was your plan A. But your plan, your plan A really was, I just want to go back to the world. I love my sin. I love everything that I'm doing. I love the feelings that I'm getting. I love the good times that I have. I just don't like the sorrow. I don't like the torment. But I love the sin. I love the feeling. I love the good time. I'm just being tormented by guilt. I'm being tormented because I, I, I feel ashamed. If you can get rid of the shame and you can get rid of that and let me still stay in sin, I'm going to stay in sin all day. How many people would eat cookies and cake all day if it wouldn't give you diabetes and make you fat? That's my point, okay? That's my point. I got spiritual on you and then had to make it a little bit little so you can catch it. It's like, I would eat cookies and cake. I would eat all kinds of fried pork food, bacon on everything mixed with garlic. I would eat it all. If it didn't give me high blood pressure, make me retain fluid and all that other stuff. If you can get rid of the results of eating it, I'm going to keep doing it. Right? Mofongo. Carne fritas con mofongo. Okay. Listen, one of the reasons why we're so scared to commit to anything, one of the reasons why we can't just stick to a plan A is because commitment in a plan A requires suffering, selflessness, and sacrifice. Suffer. Who wants to suffer? Nobody. But you know, if you realize, if somebody said, if you suffer, this is what you'll get, you're going to suffer. You know how I know? Because people get up and work out every morning. People go on diets, suffering. The people around them are suffering. <laughs> Hangry. Get mad at me for eating Oreos. That's your diet, not mine. Get my support. Nobody wants to suffer. Here's the funny part about it. We want the power of God's resurrection, but we don't want to fellowship in the suffering. We want to follow Jesus, but we don't want to deny ourselves. And, and we want the glory of God on our life, but we don't want to sacrifice nothing. You mean I got to give up eating cookies, candies, and cakes if I want to be slim in the waist, cute in the face? Slim trim above the rim. I got to sacrifice something. What time do you work out? Five? Oh, no. Uh-uh. Need my sleep. Especially after what I ate last night. I got to, I got to get at least eight hours of sleep because, you know, sleep monster hits me after I ate at 11 o'clock last night. Look at you guys. It's like people like, dang, Pastor, you prophesying. Get out of my business. <laughs> Like I, it was 11.03. Jesus. Repent right now. You can just come to the altar. Just lay it at the altar. <laughs> Suffering means serving by meeting the need and not serving out of convenience. 
meeting the need and not serving out of convenience. Like, watch this, watch this. We have a need in the children's department. Some of y'all in here, I ain't working with them bad kids. I seen some of them bad kids walk around here crazy, pastor's kids all over the place. And that's pastor kids. Ain't nobody say nothing to pastor kids. They PKs. Better not. Pastor be mad. Preach about you the next week. Look, y'all laughing because you know it's true. Like, I seen Judah. Judah, heaven running around, grabbing stuff. Look, I tell y'all, look, if my kids are out of line right now, please correct them. Okay, look at them. Matter of fact, just look at them. This is what you got to tell my kids. I'm telling your daddy. Donald, am I right? Donald's kids too. They can be out here cutting up. Just look at them. Just look at them real serious and go, I'm telling your daddy. They'll straighten up. Yeah, they, get, they become British all of a sudden. Yeah. Oh, Father, I don't know it has come over me. Please, Daddy, forgive me. What the? We got to serve because there's a need. I'm sorry. That, that, you know, personally, I'll be honest with you. I'll really be honest with you. I would rather help the man of God and, and pastor than me being a pastor. That's what I wanted to do. Before I came a pastor, I was like, man, my wife and I, we were looking for a church for me to go serve the man. I was like, man, I'm just going to lay my life down for whatever ministry. I'm going to take the burden off of them. I'm going to do this. This is what I want to do. But then God says, no, this is what I need you to do. And I'm like, oh, that's not comfortable. It's not comfortable at all, Jesus. It ain't. You guys don't know the work, the suffering that my wife and I have to do, the things that we have to endure. I, 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 I do it because that's what God calls me to do. But I'll tell you what, I sit back and I look back with the wrong mindset. I'm like, man, look at everything that I, I had to suffer from. But I'll tell you what, the glory from the suffering has far outweighed all the pain that we've had through ministry. I'm sitting down looking at your faces. Some of y'all been through hell and high water. Some of y'all in here going through it right now. But if it had not been for the house of the Lord, if it had not been for God that is on your side, for the body of Christ, you would have been lost. Hallelujah. But God has his body for us to come and serve the need. Yes, we're going to suffer. Yes, we're going to struggle. But we do it together. I ain't working with them bad kids. What you mean I got to show up Monday night and clean? You see how people leave the bathroom? I wasn't aware that we had blind men in the, in, the, in, the, in the congregation. You'll get it later. You'll get it on the ride home. The R stands for random. The next thing is selflessness, selflessness. Listen, it's not about you and how you feel. It's about denying yourself to serve others. Listen, 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 listen. There's another thing why people don't serve. They don't commit to their lives to God. It's because they can't get it done their way. No, l listen, you know, I've had a quite a few years experience of doing this, and uh, I feel if we can't do it this way, I can't be of help because I know my way works. You know, sometimes it's not about your way. You know, God will put somebody that is more experienced, somebody that knows how to do it, been there and done that, 
they will put those type of people under somebody else. You know why? To humble you. It's like, look, you did good as a leader, but you forgot how to be a follower. I remember my wife and I were talking to somebody, and we knew that this person had done something. We knew their qualifications. But the person that was leading it had been sold out to the ministry. They were sold out to God, and they really their heart was to do something. But the person we put under them, I knew they could help. So the person kept coming back to me like, look, they ain't doing it right. They ain't doing it right. They ain't doing it right. Maybe you should let me be in charge. And I said, no, you're not going to be in charge. But I'll tell you what, the humble thing to do is is sit down and listen to them talk, and then maybe you make a meeting with them by yourselves and sit down and make a couple of suggestions. Say, hey, look, I used to do this before, and here you are. And then usually people, if they're insecure, be like, well, maybe you should be in charge. And then you turn around and go, no, God has you in charge, and he's placed me here to help you. God, God has put me here with this experience to help elevate you. Because to tell the truth, great leaders make great leaders. Ah, yeah. We, great leaders don't make great followers. I turn around. As a leader, I make other great leaders. If I just make great followers, then you'll never learn to lead. I want to teach you how to lead, but you can't be a leader unless you're a follower. So it's about selflessness. And then finally, sacrifice. That dangerous word right there. You know, a lot of us will make a whole bunch of sacrifices, but when it comes to making sacrifices to God, it's unheard of. We'll make sacrifices. Oh, yeah, I'll be at the party at 10. Uh, I know I had some things to do, but I'll sacrifice and be there. It's like, look, man, you know, we got a, we got a church cleanup day, and I know it's on a, a Wednesday, and I need, I need everybody there because we're going to have to do it. Well, man, I worked all day, man, and usually that's my sleep time. Um, you know, I, I eat and I, I have to sleep during that time. And it's like, I'm not going to be able to make it. And then when one person makes an excuse and they hear that person make an excuse, the Bible says that they all begin to agree on excuses. They just now is trying to, who's going to come up with the best excuse? No excuses. So people will sit down and say stuff like, oh, man, Wednesday, you know what? It took me three months to get this appointment, and I got to get my toenails cut. So I'm not going to be able to make it. I have a toenail cutting appointment. I'm not going to be able to make it. I mean, y'all toenails are bad. You got to make a big appointment. They need machinery to cut your toenails off. You say something like that to me, I'm like, take your shoes off. Let me see them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't miss that appointment. <laughs> All right, Jay. You'll be excused. <laughs> Listen, sacrifice means giving back to God what God has given you. Giving back to God what he's given you. He's given you everything, everything that surrounds you. God has given it to you. So why can't we give it back to him? It just makes sense. It's our reasonable service that we, that, look, we give God our whole lives. Saying to God, listen, stop giving God your problems. God don't want your problems. Look, you're like, you guys are looking at me. This is a big theological question here. Uh, you, you need to explain that, preacher. God wants you, not your problems. Why do I say that? Because if he has you, you're a bag. You come with problems. And he realizes that. He says, if I can get you, then I can deal with the problems. But you just want to hand me your problems and stay, you stay away from me. 
It's like everybody's like, cast all your cares upon the altar for God cares for you. God, here, I got financial problems. God, I got relationship problems. I got work problems. I got me problems. Take my problems, God. Oh, no, you can't have me, though. God says, if I take you, all those problems come in you. You are a bag of problems. Just give me the bag. I didn't ask you to empty the bag. I'm the one that's going to do the emptying of the bag. But if you just give me you, then I can reach into you the way David did. David said, create in me a clean heart. Renew in me a right spirit. Why was he able to say that? Because he gave his life to Christ. He gave his life to God. And because he gave his life to God, God was able to reach in him and clean his heart and renew his spirit. But we have to sacrifice. And we can't sacrifice to God without sacrificing to his church. There is a need here. There is a need. As I drive around this community, I see people going to hell. I'm sorry, I can't be politically correct on this one, okay? Is that okay? They don't know Jesus, and they're going to hell. Why? Because they've been taught a fake fake and false religion, and they are bitter against church, and they're bitter against God, and they have never been told how much Jesus loves them, no matter what state they're in, and God loves them too much to let them remain in the same state that they're in. And that we are the light of the world. That we can't sit back and judge people even though we don't agree. That we just need to love people with the love of Christ. The same love that God loved on us when we were a wretch. While we were yet sinners. Christ died. He didn't say come get yourself together and then I'm going to come down and die. While we were sinners. He came and died for us. He gave us his all. Plan A, as I close, we get back to our scripture and the widow, when we think about the widow, I could just see her approaching what they call the treasury. Now we see this widow and you guys need to understand, this isn't modern day times. She didn't have welfare. She didn't have social security. How things went back in those times was a woman was dependent on her husband to bring in food and money. The wife took care of the house. This is why when when the new church started, when church actually happened, that God spoke to the apostles and told them to pick out seven men. And these seven men, full of the Holy Ghost, the deacons, he said, I need those deacons to take care of the widows. Because nobody's taking care of the widows. They're out there to fend for themselves. She had no way of making um, any money, no income. But somehow, some way, she scraped up two pennies, two mites. That's all she had. It was probably something that she could have used maybe to, to go and buy some food for herself. Maybe she was living out on the street and, and maybe to buy a blanket, she could have used it because she was really in need of a blanket. She was really in need of getting something to eat. Maybe she was really old and needed some help, some medicine to go see a doctor. Maybe she needed that money to see a doctor. See, the money didn't represent what she could get. That money represented her life. If I give this money up, it's my life. This is all I have. But she realized 
God has taken care of me this far, and everything he's given me, I'm going to give back to him. And she walked over and placed her life, even though her life was only worth two pennies. There's some of us in here right now who think our life isn't worth nothing. We think, I, I'm not anybody. I'm not even worth a penny. But Jesus said this, if you just give me what you think you're worth, you give it to me, it's a lot more than those other people that are just giving, throwing money at me. She put her life in, and God says, she's given the most. She's given me something I can work with. She's given me something I could change her life around. It's, it's remarkable because we don't hear anything else about this woman in the Bible. But if I know God, I know we probably set up a divine appointment for this woman. I believe because God saw this, he didn't forget about all the other widows. That's why he made mention to the apostles. He said, look, there was a widow back when I was on earth, and I watched how she gave from everything. So this is what I charge you to do on behalf of this woman. Because of her offering and her life didn't just affect her, but her giving of her life affected others like her. And because she gave it, I want you, I want all you to, I want you to pick out men that are spiritual men, men that are full of the Holy Ghost. I want you to take these men and charge them to take care of the widows. Take care of the homeless. Take care of those that are a part of the fold that can't take care of themselves. Because one person gave up their life. Who's depending upon you to give up your life? Who in your family's waiting to get saved once you get saved? I'm not talking about the old church saved where I, I gave my life to Christ and I go to church every other month. Oh, I love the Lord. Yeah, I love him. I don't serve him. If I married my wife and only came to live with her once a month, that's not a marriage. You can call it a marriage, but that's not a relationship. For me personally, there were three times that I made sure there wasn't going to be a plan B in my life. No plan Bs. First time is when I gave my life to Christ. I'm sitting right where Lavelle is sitting. Not in this church, but another church. And I remember, I've been coming to church. I was there every time the doors opened. But I hadn't given God my all. I was just giving him part, you know, because I still, Friday nights, I was still partying and doing stuff I shouldn't have been doing. I was having a good time. Still going to church. It made me feel good because I was in church. So I found my righteousness in going to church, but not my righteousness in Christ. And I sat, and, and I remember just one day that they, we had a preacher, and he was preaching the Word of God. And as he was preaching, I was pricked in my heart. I was con convicted. I can't live like this anymore. I can't live this double standard life anymore. And 
I remember just in my mind saying, this is it. Today's the day. Today's the day I'm going to give my life to Christ fully. I've been in church, been going to church for months, been hearing the word. I've been serving on every ministry that I can get my hands on. I was there. I was serving, but yet my heart wasn't God's. I was giving God all my problems. I was giving him everything else but me. But today, I said, today I'm going to give him my heart. And I remember the man of God was coming. He's done preaching, and he went down on the floor, and he raised his hands, and he was giving the altar call, and I didn't even let him speak. I knew it was the time. I knew it was altar call. I was just waiting for him to get done preaching. I run up to him. I ran out and I scared everybody because they didn't know what I was getting ready to do. I ran from the second seat, ran up to him right in his face. I said, this is it. This is it, man. This is it. And he looked at me and smiled. Now, listen, I wasn't telling him this was it. I was convincing with myself. My this is it was my confession that today there will be no plan B. I will give my life, my whole life to the Lord. No matter what happens, no matter hell and high water, no matter the rains or the floods, no matter the sun shining, no matter what happens, my life is Jesus Christ. This is it. And this is where I stand today. Second time, I made sure there wasn't a plan B. September. 11th, 2004, I stood at the altar with my beautiful wife. And after we said I do, and we did a little quick uncomfortable kiss, <laughs> they presented us as husband and wife. And I remember walking down the stairs, and I turned and looked at Kaya, and I said, this is it. So this is it. Whatever happens now, we will work our way through it. I don't care if you grow another nose. Whatever. This is it. There is no plan B. I ain't going nowhere and you ain't going nowhere. I got to tie you up. This is it. No plan B. And our marriage has flourished. Did we have some ups and downs? Most definitely. But right now, my God, I wish, I, I wish the marriage that my wife and I had, I wish that for everybody in their marriage. I, I, I know I got a good marriage. I, as a man, can stand here and tell you that we got a good marriage. A lot of men will tell you, oh, no, our marriage is great. And I'm looking at the wife going. Y'all, you can ask my wife. Thanks, babe. The third time, no plan B is when we started the ministry. When I gave my life over to the ministry. I remember looking at my wife and I said, look, before we do this, dude, we ain't going nowhere else. This is it, honey. She said, yeah, I agree. There, there was no plan B. I'm going to tell you how there was no plan B. This is how I had to burn my bridges. You guys know I worked in the medical field. Most of you guys call me a doctor. MD. Actually, it is. It's John R. Butcher, Sr., R-T-R-M-D. The MD stands for most definitely. Just letting y'all know. The RTR stands for Registered Radi Radiography Technician with a C for computerized tomography. That's what I used to do. 
okay? Watch this. I am registered with the nation. I have to keep up continuing educations to keep my license to be able to shoot x-rays. I got to do that. Nurses know it. Doctors do it. They all do it. But the catch is, if I let those lapse, there's just a little bit of time that I can go back and make up my continuing education and I can keep my license. But I purposely allowed my license to lapse and it's done. See, most people are like, well, you know, if, like there was a guy named Peter. Peter was a fisherman. And Peter, you know, you guys, one of the reasons why it was so easy for Peter to sin and do all those things that he did with Jesus is because he didn't get rid of his old life. Because when Jesus was crucified after he denied him, do you know what Peter did? He went back to fishing. And I made sure I'm not going to be like Peter. I burnt my bridges. There's no going back to working in a hospital. If something ever happens to church right here, right now, I'm going to be going to Lionel asking him, can I help him? You got a spot for me? <laughs> I, there is no plan B. There's no plan B. This is it. I'm giving it my all. With all that is within me, I'm going to give it my all to the ministry. And look where we're at today. Why was the widow able to give her life? Because she didn't have a plan B. God wants us to stick with plan A. In a plan A, you're going to find that you will abound. You will have affluence. You will flow in abundance. That's a lot of A's. And the plan A is a plan of the Alpha and Omega. It's God's plan. The plan A is a plan and a decision to give all. The A stands for all. I'm giving a plan A. My plan is to give it my all. But if you have a plan B, a plan B stands for to move backward, to back up, or better yet, to backslide. If you have a plan B, when you make your plan A, all you're doing is saying, that I have a good reason to back away from the commitment that I made, which is backsliding. When I make a commitment to Christ, but I go back to the world, I backslid. God wants us to stick with plan A. He wants us to give, us, give him his, our all. If we don't give him our all, we'll never get what God has for us. He wants us to have an abundant life. But that abundant life only comes when we give him everything he's given us. Thank you for tuning into our podcast today. And if you would like to know more information about our church, please visit thebuildingcf.com or download our app on all major app stores and marketplaces. Once again, thank you and have a blessed day.